Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle and I am so happy to be your host today for the continuing conversation we're having entitled Reflections. We're in the third episode of our series, the first being Born an Empath, the second being Forming a False Self, and our episode today, Awakening to Our True Self. Oh, just say the word awaken. I just love what that word makes me feel like. It makes me feel like I want to come awake and come from a deep slumber, like a bear coming out of hibernation. Awakening to our true self. The decade I'm honing in on today would be ages 20 to 29, so my third decade of life. When we look at the word awaken, you know, we're all about the words inside the words here. And awaken just means rouse from sleep. Rouse, the word rouse, just to bring out of a sleep. So just to come out of a sleep, like I just said, like a bear coming out of hibernation, to all of a sudden the world goes from black and white to technicolor, like in The Wizard of Oz. When Dorothy lands in Oz and all of a sudden the movie just becomes this radiant technicolor extravaganza of beautiful people in the land of Oz. Awaken can also mean to make someone aware of something for the first time. To make someone aware of something for the first time. Awakening is a rousing from inactivity or indifference, a revival of interest in something, and a coming into awareness. And when we think of the word aware, I don't want to gloss over this because aware is, you know, that's a big word here in our Speak Healing Words community as we practice that threefold chord of emotional health, mental fitness, spiritual maturity, a healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. And we've been zoning in and honing in on the first part of our threefold chord, that sense of self. So aware means to have or to show a realization, a perception, or a knowledge of something. So awareness is everything. And as a friend of mine from Thailand Thailand told me a long time ago, awareness is a dangerous thing because once you're awakened, once you're aware, then you are accountable. And so I wanted to share right here at the beginning of our time together today the beautiful words of an Irish poet, John O'Donohue. I hope I can do this justice in reading it to you. I'm going to read it a couple times. Let it just soak into your soul. Let the words flow over you like living water. He writes, Once the soul awakens, the search begins and you can never go back. From then on, you are in 
inflamed with a special longing that will never again let you linger in the lowlands of complacency and partial fulfillment. The eternal makes you urgent. You are loath to let compromise or the threat of danger hold you back from striving toward the summit of fulfillment. Okay, this time really soak it in. Once the soul awakens, the search begins and you can never go back. From then on, you are inflamed with a special longing that will never again let you linger in the lowlands of complacency and partial fulfillment. The eternal makes you urgent. You are loath to let compromise or the threat of danger holds you back from striving toward the summit of fulfillment. Oh, John O'Donohue's words just awakened my soul today when I thought about my decade, that third decade of my life was really, it really was the awakening of my true self. So what do I mean by that? I, I had a client this past week say, do you know, what does it mean to be whole? Like when you say you're finally whole and you're living into this decade as a whole person, I don't get it. What does that mean? I said, well, let's talk about this. And in many ways, to be whole is to be fully awake, to be fully alive, to be fully aware of not only what's going on in the inner part of your soul and your heart and your mind and your body, but to be aware of what's going on around you. As John O'Donohue says, once the soul awakens. So, so I was thinking about the third decade of, decade of my life. I thought this was a decade of finding relationship with two fathers. It just hit me as I was, I made like a little web cluster like I used to do with my writing students back in the day before you write a paper and you want to put all your thoughts down. And so I put, you know, awakening my true self in the middle and then off had all these clusters and started with, well, I finished college in that decade. I finished competing in dance and beauty pageants. I got married. I had my first child. I had a my first teaching job. I was an elementary school teacher wasn't trained to be that, but it was a, a a pilot school of such. Maybe back in that day, we might have called it a charter school. And the headmaster was like, I am glad you don't have training. She had watched me teach some workshops uh, in her school. And she said, I, you have a teaching gift and I want to nurture it and create, just pour into you. And I thought, oh my goodness, what on earth? I've gone from wanting to be a professional dancer to now I'm being a first grade teacher. So I took off my high heels and put some Reeboks on and I got busy and it changed my life and it was the best thing for me. It actually honed my capacity to study and open up subjects and become the writer uh, I am today. I also got pregnant with twins in this decade at the end of the decade. And so as I was writing that, I thought, wow, 
Yeah, I remember I wrote this, you know, as I was coming into my 60th that I was holding my twins, one in each hand on my lap. And I remember looking down at them and going, wow, I'm 30. When they're 30, I'm going to be 60. Well, here we are. So I actually, my pregnancy with twins ushered me into my fourth decade. And that will come next week. So stay tuned. But the greatest awakening in this third decade of my life was an awakening, yes, to my truest self, an awakening to my faith. I've shared with you um, that I was raised Catholic and have really beautiful memories of my faith in my childhood. And, And then adolescence came and, you know, the end of that second decade and the beginning of college. And I, I definitely moved away from caring about my inner life. And I shared a lot about my false self uh, in the last episode. And I found this beautiful poem by Susie Kassem. And it's called Coming Forth into the Light. And it really captures this awakening to my faith. I was born the day I thought, what is, what was, And what if? I was transformed the day my ego shattered and all the superficial material things that mattered to me before suddenly ceased to matter. I really came into being the day I no longer cared about what the world thought of me, only on my thoughts for changing the world. So this awakening... Of faith definitely came in a very uh, dark part of my last year of college. But in that dark place, oh, as it often does, the light of God shone brightly. He brought a few amazing people around me, an amazing... Um, An amazing love came upon me, and I felt God whisper and ask me to follow him. And and that's what I did. And yes, it was during a time when, as Susie Kassem writes, my ego shattered and all the superficial material things that mattered to me before suddenly ceased to matter. Because this third decade also, it shattered. It was a time when I let go of a very very close relationship that I, I had with a man that I thought I was going to marry. And and yet as that relationship developed, I, well, first my mother, but then others, you know, there were signs and signals and I just didn't want to see them because at that period of time, I was searching. I was searching to fill uh, that big old hole inside of my soul that didn't know uh, that it had value, worth, and dignity. It didn't know where it belonged. It joined sororities. It was a cheerleader. It was very active. It was smart. It looked successful. But it was aching to really belong and feel true, authentic connection with self and others. And as I look in my rearview mirror, it was it was the pivotal pivotal identity marker in my life. And I'm so grateful that God called me to himself and that he actually helped me move from 
uh, my false self and he awakened my true self. And I'm so, I'm just so grateful for that. And as always, I hope and pray that my story informs your story. I share it in hopes that it will unveil some things in your own life that maybe you're blind to and you can't see. And maybe a few people have been saying, hey, I just, yeah, so maybe you need to lean in and listen and at least open your hands and your heart and say, okay, if this isn't the right way, then if I'm not living the right story, if I'm living in the wrong story and I'm living in my false self, then open my eyes, God, and show me. Bring, bring the light into all the dark places in my life. I'm just so thankful. So thankful. And as John O'Donohue says in his poem, it's no longer about partial fulfillment. It's about the summit to fulfillment. I didn't want just good. I wanted best. And I wanted, um, you know, one of the, in my rearview mirror, when I look back, I, I know that I was, I was surrendering to a little bit of love. I was compromising to a little bit of love being better than no love. In other words, this relationship that I had with a man I thought I would marry, a man that was really asking me to give up my dreams of dance and being Miss America and just my dreams at that time, which were very, very real to me. He was asking me to give those things up and move to a city on the West Coast and live with him and wait for him to graduate from his master's program. And so that would require me to have given up, really given up all of my my dreams that I believed were God-breathed in my heart. And so I'm just so grateful that God spoke in the dark and he opened my eyes and he allowed me to begin living into my true self. And I pray that for you today. I pray that if there, if there's somewhere in your life where you feel like it's just oh, a little bit of love is better than no love or a little bit of success is better than great success or a little bit of this or that or the other is better than the best, better than your God-breathed story. So I found this beautiful, beautiful, I want to say essay or um, writing from a Dr. John Churbin. I hope I'm saying that name right. Dr. Churbin's a clinical instructor in psychology at Harvard Medical School. And I found him as I was really studying and looking at how to best describe our true self. And he has a beautiful, beautiful article that I will put up on our private Facebook page. So be sure to subscribe on JanelleReardon.com so that you can find out how to connect on that private Facebook page and also to get the weekly e-newsletter and notifications of blogs and podcasts. So he writes this on his, I actually went to his website and he has this beautiful uh, metaphor. And he says, as I have described in True Coming of Age, this is his newest book, I believe, I see life as a voyage, our quest for meaning and search for fulfillment. Because immediate demands and goals preoccupy us, we can easily ignore the vessel, our internal self, for our voyage. We must prepare a winning plan to reach our destination. The success of our voyage depends on how we understand our initial ventures, managed 
our early experiences in life. So he's saying the success of our voyage depends on how we understand our initial ventures. Okay, that would be how we manage and make meaning of all of the early experiences in our life. He continues, and the sturdiness of our ship, which is our confidence, our self-worth, our sense of, yes, I do have value, worth, and dignity. That's how I'm adding to this. You know, how we understand that in order to proceed. The strongest winds and biggest storms will rarely steer a sturdy ship off course. Okay, this is where I just highlighted. I'm going to write it in my heart journal. If we are anchored in our true self. Now he gives seven qualities of in seven intrinsic qualities of a true self. And he he's done a tremendous amount of research while he was um, working, I guess, on his doctorate or while he was in seminary and during his study of Christian anthropology. And these seven qualities are spontaneity, creativity, reasoning, freedom, discernment, spirituality, and love. So if we're anchored in those qualities, spontaneity, and and inside of spontaneity, he really talks a lot in our language about secure attachment. That when you have a secure, solid footing in your early years, then you have this childlike spontaneity, this childlike faith, this childlike uh, creativity and exploration. So these, we're anchored in these qualities, spontaneity, creativity, reasoning, freedom, discernment, spirituality, and love. And our critical connections, our relationship with self, other, and God. When we're anchored in these things, we're a sturdy ship and we're ready for most any challenge. Boy, it's just, it's so powerful. Our true self and our critical connections Form the intricate parts that create a seaworthy vessel. This is such a beautiful metaphor. The rudder, our actions that guide us to our goals, steers our direction. The hull, the body of the ship, holds our precious cargo. That is the body of our meaningful connections. The mast supports our sails to embrace the spirit in our journey. With a strong relationship to spirit based in our beliefs, we open our sails and we move steadily towards our destination. The bow and the stern connect us to our opportunities in life, assuring integration and establishing equilibrium to keep our ship from tipping over from strong winds and waves. With such a vessel, a sturdy vessel, we are ready to meet the challenge of the waters that we encounter, and we will indeed encounter them. All these elements, the rudder, the hull, the mast, the bow, the bow, and the stern, are necessary for a seaworthy vessel. In the same way, a strong understanding of our true self, our God-breathed self, as I say, is vital to us getting where we want to go. To discover the true self, we must develop our knowledge of ourself, our connections with others, and our relationship with God. By attending to these elements, we 
are assured of a meaningful journey and a fulfilling life. Just love this. So I love how (sighs) Churban says that when we are anchored in our true self and we possess all of these qualities that he says comprise our true self, spontaneity, creativity, reasoning, freedom, discernment, spirituality, and love. And remember, I'm going to put this article on our private Facebook page. So so worth you taking some time to read through it and understand what each of these qualities mean. Um, and he says that when our critical connections, our relationship with God, self, and others... When, when those are moving and operating in our lives, and, and I say it when we have a healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, healthy communication skills, when we are practicing that threefold cord in our life, then we are ready for most any challenge. Doesn't mean we are not human beings and we're not going to have bad days. We're, we're not perfect. We are going to be imperfectly perfect, and we're going to be mature and do our very best to practice maturity every day. But I love how life unfolds. So one of my clients came yesterday, and, and the in our session the week before, we had really delved into some depths of her false self, and we were trying to make peace with some of her early childhood wounding uh, because she was still reacting from that early childhood wounding in her current life as uh, in her 30s. And so she comes in and she sits down and she's like, okay, okay, I just need to understand. I need to understand how my true self is the answer to feeling unappreciated and unwanted. What a brilliant, brilliant thought. And then she asked the question, so how is knowing my true self the answer to other people letting me down. So both feeling unwanted and feeling unappreciated were still very reactory buttons in her life to this day. And so we dug deep into this and uh, I thank her for giving me permission to share this. You know, I said, well, what do you think? And she said, well, I guess it's expectations, right? Like, I just have expectations that people should treat me a certain way. So we kept going and we kept going. And she shared a story about uh, when she was four and a half-ish and her parents decided to get divorced. And as many of you can relate, I'm sure, when that happens in a child's life, then weekends are spent with one parent weeks with another parent, and there tends to be this tug of war. Typically, it's not always the case, but most of the times, it's definitely how the child feels. And she described to a T a memory of the first time she had to go spend the weekend with her father, who had left the home, and he now had an apartment. And... She felt so anguished and fearful and torn in two. One arm extended towards her mother and her mother's face was distressed. 
And this beautiful young woman is a very empathic, very caring, intuitive woman. And so as a little girl, I am sure she had some really big emotions going on inside of her little tiny frame. And on the other hand, the other arm was her father pulling her towards the car and pretty ticked and she was feeling a lot of anger and a lot of fear. So on the one hand, she's looking at her her mother's distressed face and her empathic little soul is feeling, I better be a good girl and not upset my daddy because if I upset my daddy, he's he might hurt my mom or he might be mean to my mom. I guess she had seen that. And so, you know, she's caught in the middle. And when you're caught in the middle, I said to her, what do you think, looking in your rearview mirror, what your little girl's soul might have been feeling? She said, oh. In some ways, it's it's like my family didn't really want to spend time with me. Like, I didn't know where I belong. Do I belong with my mother? Do I belong with my father? Why are they not together? Why are they now living separately? So I just, I guess my feeling of belonging was being torn in two. And as we continued the conversation, I said, and think, you know, you just said to me that your mother's face was distressed, that you could tell she was in stress and that she was torn. And you, as a four and a half, five-year-old, had this capacity to go, I better be good here and put my feelings aside because I'm feeling afraid and terrified, actually. I don't want to go spend time with my father. And so she's putting, having to, suppress, repress her voice, you know, she can't stand in the middle and go, I don't want to go either place. You know, I want y'all to get, be nice to each other. And I would really like you to get along. And would you all mind not being so angry at each other? Because it's killing me. You know, little children don't know how to use their voice. Oh my goodness. If they do, bravo. They are amazing. And some do. I've been around them and I know them and as adults that they had hard things in life and they said, no, 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 you can't do this. Um, But you know, she didn't know at that time. She didn't have that capacity. But she does today. And so we stepped back again and and went back to her initial thought. So how, how does my true self answer? How is my true self the answer to me feeling unappreciated? And I said, well, let's just think of that moment in your on your timeline, right? It's that identity marker we talk about here. I've shared mine, and now I'm sharing this beautiful young woman's. And, you know, at that point in her life, somehow she had to repress, suppress, and process in some way what the heck was going on. And in order to cope with that very overwhelming moment in her life, in order to survive it, and in order to go to her father's house, she had to 
somehow, and I, I, you know, I see through this frame that God enabled her to cope. He enabled her. He fired up her amygdala, her fight, flight, and freeze, and enabled her to dig deep into the survival techniques of defense strategies and coping mechanisms. And she was somehow able to gird up her body and get in that car and go with her father and get through the weekend. Somehow she did that. But now, all these years later, she still feels like she doesn't really know where she belongs. Now, she definitely, because due to our beautiful work that we're doing, she feels so much more secure, so much more. She has such a capacity to use her voice, her God-given voice, because she knows her value, worth, and dignity now. She knows in her head, and it's making its way to her heart, that it wasn't that she didn't belong. It was that her parents' divorce was ripping her into pieces. So it wasn't her fault. She didn't ask for that to happen to her. It just happened to her. And so now she's got to process those very big emotions that are still locked inside of her tiny little girl body inside. And so I said, when you have secure attachment, when you know that you know you have value, worth, and dignity, then your self-worth, your identity, your purpose on this planet does not depend on someone else appreciating you. Oh, yes, it is lovely when they do. We are human beings who need affirmation and encouragement. And I do talk a lot about this in the earlier podcast when we talk about love and acceptance. We need that affirmation. We're built to have it on the one hand. On the other hand, we don't need anyone to do it or give it to us because we have it within our own soul. We just do things for other people out of an autonomous, beautiful, authentic place, not needing their acceptance, approval, applause, or words of affirmation to make us have an identity, to make us true to ourself. We already have that in Christ. We have the breath of God inside of our being. So when we operate and move through our life from that secure position that I know I am valuable, I have worth and dignity, and when I give to others, I give out of this beautiful place in my heart that doesn't, isn't looking for the affirmation. I'm not looking for someone to make me feel better about myself. I already feel good about myself. Oh, yes. In Christian theology, we we must always bring up that, yes, we are human beings who do things. We miss the mark. We um, make bad choices. We have bad days. We're going to be angry. We're going to say things we shouldn't say because we're human. But we're fully human and fully capable of always transforming any of our unhealthy behaviors into healthy ones. That's the process that the Bible calls sanctification. That's the process of transformation and healing. 
So we continued our conversation and, you know, this this stuff we're talking about is deep stuff. You got to put on your boots. To, and I thankfully I had my boots on yesterday because it's getting cold around here. So I was really grateful. And we concluded our conversation that when we... Actually, she said, you know, so just, I guess it means I am me. I am me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I like me, and I I understand me better. I have people in my life around me that hold me accountable and help me see my blind spots. And when we have all of these practices in place, all the practices we talk about here in the Speak Healing Words community, then we can move through life with ease, E-A-S-E, with a sense of ease. We both concluded ease was the word. We're not diseased anymore, right? D-I-S slash E-A-S-E-D. We are eased people because we are practicing healthy behaviors and communication skills. We've made peace with our past. We are living in the present, living in the now, we're holding ourselves accountable. We are daily doing our inner work. We're setting aside necessary time for something I wanted to share with you that I recently read. And I have talked a lot in my oh, 30 years of teaching now and uh, teaching conferences and retreats and writing books and all of that. I always called it 30 minutes of silence. But in the book that I'm just devouring now called Callings by Greg Lavoie. I've talked about it before. Finding and following an authentic life. He writes about this incredible um, technique that um, a man named Eric Meisel in his book Fearless Creating um, introduced, and it's called hushing. I just love this hushing. And my client has done a lot of hushing in our work together. And hushing is just the most important exercise because it's the most difficult. He describes it like this. Hushing is what we do when we meditate. When we go into a museum and sit before a painting for 15 minutes. When we succumb to the lazy lure of a spring afternoon spent in our own backyards watching the shadows of clouds bend in the folds of the hills. It's a quieting. It's an opening. I'm going to add, it's an awakening. A way to stop the mind from operating on auto scan. Hush your thoughts just as if you were comforting a baby. A wild person with a calm mind can create anything. I have a big yes written beside that with a uh, exclamation point. Perhaps such a person can even tackle the advanced course in hushing. This involves clearing the decks of the clutter of beliefs that have outlived their usefulness. Okay, I'm going to pause here and kind of go back to my conversation with my client. We actually were doing that in our conversation, weren't we? When she came with the thought, like, how does living in my true self keep me from feeling unwanted and unappreciated? And then we moved into her clutter. 
of beliefs, her limiting beliefs that now have outlived their usefulness. They are not serving her well anymore. She is in her 30s. She has outgrown and outlived all of those negative emotions of that little girl torn between two caregivers. She's now a fully awakened human being who knows that wasn't her fault. She was put in a tough position, but now she's whole. She, she's at ease. That's a clutter of belief she's outlived. He continues second-guessing all parental injunctions and moral admonitions, making decisions one way or another, and avoiding all activities that no longer, if they ever did, hold any juice for you. This is, of course, a lifetime's worth of work. It involves going through the psyche, our mental world, with a metal detector. That's kind of what I do as a therapist. I go through the psyche, the mind, the heart, the soul, and the body of my clients with a metal detector. Flushing out those beliefs and behaviors that are not consonant with our integrity and refusing to do business with them anymore. And I am closing the book. Looked at the time. We have gone way over time today. But I believe this conversation is so essential and so necessary for each of us to live in our fullest human God-breathed potential. To enlarge our capacity to live a rich, meaningful life full of satisfying, enriching, joyful, beautiful vocations and activities and relationships. Thank you so much for being with me today. It has just been, it has been so awesome to dig into this deep subject of awakening our true self. I hope to hear from you. Please leave a review and rate the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, all of your Uh, words help spread this message. And boy, don't we want the world to operate from a place of health and well-being. I'll see you next time. Have a good day. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.